0: And so we wear ourselves out. And so as we gather this morning, let us take the time uh, to connect with God, to allow His Spirit to speak to us and to touch us in the deepest depths of our hearts that we may continue to be formed and to be shaped into the people that God intends us to be, a people who share His love and grace with our neighbors. And so I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing, um, Oh God, our help in ages past. And um, as, as the light comes forward, let us be reminded of Christ's presence among us this day. amen. I'm going to invite you all to be seated. And um, I'm just going to ask us to to take a moment to to just uh, close our eyes um, to um, allow our our whole self, our body, our mind, our spirit um, to, um, to come in an attitude of surrender and prayer. And so as we do this this morning, first I want to invite us as we we sit in silence to offer up to God uh, whatever it might be that we find distracting us and keeping us from connecting with God, not just in this moment, but in other moments. And I want to invite us to uh, offer up to God that which seems to to bind us and hold us back. And so as you sit in silence, may you uh, share... Um, with God, um, what it is that is binding you and holding you and distracting you this day. I invite you to offer that to God and then to to turn your thoughts to the Spirit and just um, ask ask God uh, to give you a sense of the presence of the Spirit. Um, uh, Ask God. Let Him know what the desire of your heart is for this day and for this coming week. Gracious God, hear our prayers this day. Help us to release those things that bind us up. Help us to uh, turn away from the distractions which keep us from drawing closer to you. Set us free and fill us with your spirit so that we indeed might share with you the desires of our hearts so that we might Um, Listen to your spirit as we are nudged and prodded and encouraged to share your love and your grace with our family and our friends and our neighbors and the world. Help us this day to open up our hearts, our minds, the very depths of our soul, that we may experience your presence in new and fresh ways that we may know that your spirit is upon us and within us and and around us so that we truly might be people who begin to live and love like Jesus and make a difference in the lives of other people. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, today we're going to continue um, taking a look at these Old Testament stories at um, what I like to refer to as God's story. Um, and I just want to remind us that uh, sometimes I think that we ignore these Old Testament stories to our own peril. We we, we really, when we fail to understand uh, the Old Testament story, we can't truly understand the New Testament as well as we should. We can't really understand a lot of Jesus' teaching if we are not familiar with the Old Testament. Because you see, uh, Jesus even told us that he came uh, to, to fulfill, that Jesus is not the beginning of God's work in the world. And so it is important that we we hear and we listen to these stories so that we have a better understanding of who God is and we have a better understanding of of who we are called to be and a better understanding of how God has um, sought to connect with humanity Uh, Throughout all of creation and in fact so far we we have completed the book of Genesis where we've learned that God is the one who created the world God is the one who created uh, Humanity and he created in such a way that he wanted to share the love of the father son and Holy Spirit His hope was that humans would live in union with father son and Holy Spirit um, And in doing so would continue to uh, create and sustain a place of human flourishing a place where we could live in harmony with each other and with all of creation. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, the story tells us that, uh, that we as human beings decided to trust ourselves instead of God. And in fact, the reason that the world is in the mess it is, is because we continue to choose to trust ourselves rather than God. And the story continues to tell us how God continues to, uh, to start over, how God continues to reach out to humanity who wants to trust themselves, inviting them into a relationship, into a trusting relationship with Him in which, again, we learn to be the people God intended us to be, in which we uncover the masterpiece which is within us that God uh, put there from the beginning so that we might participate In God's mission to once again have a world where human flourishing um, exists. And so we have learned about Abraham and the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how God uh, chose to work through this particular family uh, to to bless them so that they might bless the rest of the world. And in fact, last week we finished up Genesis and, and all looked pretty good at the end of Genesis, right? Um, at the end of Genesis, we, we have the family of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Jacob are together. Again, that through Joseph's work, the, the whole world has been blessed because uh, through Joseph, this famine, um, they were prepared for a famine and there were food for um, not just Egypt, for, but for the rest of the world. And yet, as we end Genesis, we know that the promise to Abraham is yet to be fulfilled. While the people are flourishing and while the world is being blessed, they are not yet in the land that God had promised them. And so we pick up the story today in Exodus. And over the next few weeks, we're just going to continue to walk through the Old Testament broadly, not looking at particular stories, but looking broadly. And so today we're going to look at the first 15 chapters of Exodus. And so it is important for us to know as we begin Exodus that um, it has been over 400 years, 400 years since God called Abram uh, to leave Haran and to go to Canaan. Uh, 400 years since God made the promise to Abram uh, that, uh, that he would make him uh, many people and that uh, he would give him a land and that through him the world would be blessed. Um, And Abraham's descendants, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they find themselves in Egypt. And now at the beginning of Exodus, we're told that that Joseph and his brothers, they have died. Uh, That generation has died. And in addition, a new Pharaoh has come into power. And and so uh, we're told that this new Pharaoh um, somehow... This new Pharaoh doesn't know the story of Joseph. I find that interesting that that could be the case. Uh, but uh, this new Pharaoh comes along who doesn't know Joseph. And, and here are the words that we find in Exodus uh, chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Now a new, a new king, a new Pharaoh, came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. He said to his people, The Israelite people are now larger in number and stronger than we are. Come on, let's be smart and deal with them. Otherwise, they will only grow in number, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies. They will fight against us and then escape from the land. As a result, the Egyptians put foremen of forced work gangs over the Israelites to harass them with hard work. They had to build storage cities named Pithom and Ramses. For, but the more they were oppressed, the more they grew and spread. So much so that the Egyptians started to look at the Israelites with disgust and dread. So the Egyptians enslaved them. They made, them, they, they made their lives miserable with hard labor, making mortar and bricks, doing a field work by forcing them to do all kinds of cruel work. And so we see that things have now changed significantly for the Israelites. This new king who doesn't remember all the great things that that Joseph did for them um, has determined that he would make it difficult because now he is afraid of these Israelites. He is afraid of the tribes of Jacob. Uh, And and so um, everything he tries to do, he makes it more difficult, he enslaves them, and and it still uh, doesn't work. And so then he begins to fear as they continue to multiply and to grow, they become worried that these these foreigners will um, outnumber them and and soon will rule or at least uh, uh, ally with their enemies. And so Pharaoh orders that the midwives are to kill Uh, the firstborn sons, or to kill all the boys that are born to Israelite women. And when that doesn't work because the midwives resist, he then orders that all boys, um, after they are born, they are to be tossed in the Nile River. Uh, This was his way uh, of trying to um, control the Israelites. And so we're told that um, in the midst, in the midst of these circumstances, we're told in Exodus, Exodus, a baby boy is born. Later, we'll find out it's to Jokabed. But when the story first starts, we're just told a baby boy is born to parents who are from the house of Levi. It seems like any other birth that had taken place at this time. Uh, this boy is born. And this boy's mother defies Pharaoh's orders. Instead of tossing her son into the Nile River, she places him in a basket and then puts him in the Nile River. His, his older sister um, goes along to watch and to keep an eye on him. And then, as he's floating down the river, a uh, Pharaoh's daughter sees this basket with this child and she is drawn to the basket. And so, she rescues this child from the waters. We have this, this mother who has defied God, this sister who has watched out, and, and Pharaoh's daughter. And, and we're told in the story that unknowingly, a uh, Pharaoh's daughter... Um, then sends the child back to its mother to be raised. And when the child is grown, we're not sure what age that is, six, seven, eight, I'm not sure. The child returns to Pharaoh's household and she names the child Moses. Now, we're familiar with who Moses is, and yet I wonder if we're really familiar with the story of, of Moses. But this is, this is the world into which Moses was born. And we see the hand of God upon Moses, delivering him from these circumstances. We don't hear anything else about Moses, uh, about him growing up, his teenage years, anything like that. Um, until one day we're told that he's grown up and he's out and about uh, among the Hebrew workers and and he sees an Egyptian um, beating a Hebrew, beating um, a fellow Israelite. And he can't take it, apparently, and he gets angry and he wants to deliver this Hebrew and his anger spills over and he kills the Egyptian. We're told on, a, on another day, he, he's walking through the camp again. And this time he sees two Hebrews fighting with each other. Again, he's wondering what in the world is going on. And as he attempts to break it up, um, they um, make it known that they're aware of what he had done the day before. And in fact, we find out that not only are they aware, but so is Pharaoh. Pharaoh hears about the fact that, that Moses has killed an Egyptian and, and he seeks to kill Moses. And so the next story we hear of Moses is that he, he leaves, he goes northward into the desert and he's wandering and he comes upon these Midianites, these Midianite women who are attempting to get water from a well and they are being harassed and mistreated by um, other individuals. And once again, Moses comes to their rescue. And so what we do learn about Moses in these stories is that Moses apparently is a man who sees injustice and takes action. Now his action may not always be the correct action, but he is one who sees injustice in the world and whatever it does, it moves his heart and it causes him to take action. And so again, uh, there's this big void in the in the life of Moses, and, and um, we are told that that Moses goes and he he lives with these um, Midianites, and, and in fact he uh, marries one of them, and he seems to be content a, as a shepherd. And we're told that meanwhile, back in Egypt, back in Egypt, that um, things haven't changed much, even though they have. Have a new king. Things have not changed much. And we we pick up in chapter 2. We pick up uh, this part of the story. It says a long time had passed. The Egyptian king died. The Israelites were still groaning. Because of their hard work. They cried out. And their cry to be rescued from the hard work. It rose up to God. God heard their cry of grief. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked at the Israelites, and God understood. We are told that God is not a God who is far off, but he is a God who heard and saw and experienced the plight of the Israelites. And then we're we're told as a result of this, God gets Moses' attention through a burning bush. We're all familiar with that story. Uh, where God gets uh, Moses' attention, and and this is what God says to Moses after he gets his attention. He, He says, I have clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that is full of milk and honey. And he goes on to tell Moses he's going to send him. Again, in this picture, we we get this picture of a God who, who hears and sees and feels the pain of the people of God who knows about suffering and seeks to reach out to relieve it. And he seeks to do so by involving another human being. He reaches out to Moses and he says, Moses, I I think Moses at first wonders when God uh, says this, I think Moses wonders, like, yeah, why, why are you telling me all this stuff, God? I'm not back there anymore. Um, and he soon finds out, right? God says, because I'm going to send you. Well, Moses is a little different than Abraham. He doesn't say, okay. Uh, Moses is a lot more like me and you. Moses says, let's talk about this, God. Uh, let's, let's, let's just chat about this a little bit. And so he begins to negotiate with God and, and have excuses as to why he may not be the one to go. And in fact, he gets to a point where, where he says, yeah, I, I know they need to be delivered, but um, can you send someone else? Yeah? Have you all ever been there? You see things wrong, it's like, yeah, can you send somebody else? And we're told, um, and in fact, this is the first place where God gets mad in Scripture. We're told about God gets angry with Moses. And, and, and in his anger, what he does is he says, All right, you got a brother Aaron. I'm going to send Aaron to go with you. Aaron will go with you and be your mouthpiece. And then he just basically says, go. And however he said it, Moses must have got the point because he doesn't like set any more complaints. Moses decides he better go. And so back to Egypt, Moses goes. And when he arrives there and he gathers the people of Israel together, they're pretty enthusiastic. Oh, God has heard our cry. God is going to deliver us. All right, Moses, we're with you. And so then Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not quite as enthusiastic. In fact, Pharaoh says, like, who is this Yahweh? Who is this God you're talking about? Uh-oh, and who is this God that I should do uh, what this God Says, And so he basically says, you know, I'm going to show the people who they belong to. They belong to me. And so Pharaoh begins to make their life more difficult. He makes it harder for them to do the task for which they are enslaved to do. And he makes it harder and harder and harder. And the people, the people of Israel, they go to Moses. And they say to Moses, they say, what have you done? I thought that this was going to be easy. We don't ever do that, right? We don't ever think that God's just going to make it easy. Uh, the people, uh, it, it, I thought God was going to make and, and in fact, what has happened is it has just gotten harder. I thought you were going to help deliver us. What have you done? And so Moses, I'm sure, is a little confused too. He may have thought it was going to be easier than this. Uh, but, but he seeks and he receives reassurance from, from God. And we see this in Exodus chapter 6. Um, and once again, God says, I have heard and I have seen the oppression. I have not forgotten the promise I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I still intend to fulfill it. And I will rescue and deliver this people from their bondage. I will set them free. I will restore them. And you will be my people and I will be your God. And so, and so ensues this battle between God and Pharaoh. In which Moses is the mediator. So ensues this uh, struggle of power. Who will prevail? Will Pharaoh and his oppressive forces and power prevail? Or will the liberating power of God prevail? And so through Moses, through Moses, God provides nine signs. To Pharaoh, and to the Egyptians, and really to the Israelites. He provides nine opportunities for them to align themselves with God's purposes. And, and in and through these, God demonstrates that, that his, it is God's power that is greater than the Pharaoh or the Egyptians' gods. He gives Pharaoh opportunity after opportunity to release the people. And we're told that, that Pharaoh is stubborn. And in fact, we're told uh, that God somehow participates in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. I think mainly because he allows Pharaoh to make promises and then backtrack them. And he doesn't immediately make him pay for that. For what we see as things go along, Pharaoh begins to um, cry, uncle. Y- y'all ever... Been at a point where you cry, uncle, let me go, let me go, I'll do whatever you say. What usually happens after you're let go. Hi. just kidding. Didn't really mean it, right? Well, maybe you all didn't do that. That's what I did when my bigger brother did that to me. Um, but um, you see... Um, Pharaoh begins to to give in, and and at times he says, okay, I'll do. But when the pressure is released, when, when, when the plague, when the crisis is no longer there, he says, never mind. I wonder how many times we do the same thing. In the midst of a crisis, we cry out to God, we make promises as to what we'll do, and the crisis passes and we forget the promise we made to God. And we just continue to go along our own way. Bringing about that which we want. And that's exactly what Pharaoh continues to do. Not until the tenth and final sign does Pharaoh really relent. Not until Egypt experiences the same situation that he had bestowed upon Israel. Remember? He had, had, had declared that their, their firstborn, their children, their boys would be killed. And so God declares that the firstborn child of all Egyptians will experience death in the next, in the next night. And so, after this happens, after the people in Egypt cry out as they experience the the horrific death of their oldest child, Pharaoh drives the Israelites out, says, fine, go. Go. And God leads them out. But the story's not over yet. You see, Pharaoh was really stubborn. After the Israelites were gone, Pharaoh had a change of mind because you see, I don't think his heart ever changed. His heart still thought that he was ruler of the world. His heart still thought that these people belonged to him and he could get his way. And so, Pharaoh chases after the Israelites determined that he's going to have them back. And, and lo and behold, as he goes out, um, he, he discovers he's got them trapped. His army is on one side and the sea is on the other side. The Israelites are in between. The Israelites, they also look up and they see this. They, they see uh, that they are trapped. And, and in, in, in uh, chapter 14... We, we read this passage about, um, about the thoughts of the Israelites. As Pharaoh drew closer, the Israelites looked back. They saw the Egyptians march, marching toward them. And the Israelites, they were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you took us away to die in the desert? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt like this? Didn't we tell you the same thing in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us work for the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to work for the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, I don't know about you, but after, um, I I can't help but wonder, is this how I would have been after seeing these, these nine and then the tenth a miraculous sign that God has given of His might and His power. Would I have been like the Israelites um, in, in the midst of the next crisis, saying, "Oh my goodness, we're gonna, we're gonna die"? My God, cannot provide. Well, what do we see in the story? We see that once again, God provides. He says to Moses, "I." am with you and Moses says to the people don't be afraid god will deliver us and he listens for the voice of god and god says hold up your staff and he does and the sea splits open and the people head across to the other side And as they're reaching the bank and they turn back and they see the Israelites following them, they see the sea close over the Egyptian army. And they know that they have truly been delivered by God. And we're told in chapter 15 on the other side of the bank, as as they are really realizing what is happening, they begin to celebrate and to dance and to give thanksgiving. They don't even wait till they get to church on Sunday. Isn't that amazing? They just begin to dance and celebrate God's goodness and His presence with them, and, and they shout and they sing. And so as we hear this story today, as we as we hear about this god who cares a god who is not distant a god who who hears and sees and experiences the pain of a people may we be reminded that god is a god who saved uh, the oppressed israelites from Egypt and he is a God who continues to save and reach out to his people today. As we hear this story and we see how God calls and equips Moses, may we hear in this story and may we be reminded that God is a God who calls and commissions and equips not only Moses but people today to serve as agents of God's healing and deliverance in the world. As we hear this story today, as we think about our own stories where we have experienced God's deliverance and God's presence, may we be reminded of God's grace and God's power and God's presence with us, God's ability to not only heal and save us, but God's ability to heal and save the world. And may we be reminded that this became a story in in the Israelite history in which they retold every year during the Passover. A story that was so important to them uh, that they knew that they needed to tell it over and over and over again. Because it's like our own experiences of God's uh, deliverance and work in our own lives. When we take the, the time to remember and to recall those, we are inspired and sustained by faith to continue trusting in God. God is a God who cares. God is a God who cares about you. He cares about those things that bind you together, those things uh, that are distracting you. God hears and sees and experiences all of your own pain and suffering and brokenness. And God takes the initiative to reach down, to reach down through human agents, through his own intervention, to deliver us from that which binds us and to set us free so that we might worship and praise God and so that we might participate in God's mission to bless others. May we hear this story afresh and anew this day. May we go forth with a new sense of hope and assurance and a new sense of God's presence. Amen. And now choir, I should have told you all to come up. Come on up. I can probably add 10 more minutes. I invite you to just take time as, you, uh, as we sing, He leadeth me, um, that we indeed might allow God to lead us and to guide us, to touch us and to heal us in this moment and in every moment. May we go forth this day with the assurance and the hope that God is with us, that God will indeed heal us and restore our hope and give us the strength to do that for which he calls us, that he will enable us to be a people who live and love like Jesus and truly make a difference in the lives of other people. Let us go forth this day to allow God to lead us and guide us in all that we do. And now I invite you to stand as we join together in our closing song.